stay hungry, stay foolish. So now on the Innovation Show, it's a great pleasure to welcome Lucas Decker, CEO and founder of Coindrum. Welcome to the show, Lucas. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you on the show. And let's jump into your background first. Sure. So um, my name is Lucas. As you can tell by the accent, I'm, uh, I'm German. Uh, live in Ireland at the moment. And uh, basically, my background is in business all the way. Um, so both for my bachelor degree and then later on uh, to do my MBA uh, was in business. And then straight out of my MBA, I leapt into this current startup adventure that is uh, Coindrum and we're now about five years into the journey there. And how did that journey come about? Because you obviously finished college, but you had a few roles before then, before founding Coindrum. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I came, you know, maybe I should quickly explain what Coindrum is to, to give the context of it. Um, so we basically operate self-service machines in international hub airports um, where passengers can deposit their leftover coin currency and in return receive higher value vouchers for duty-free. So if you're leaving the currency area and you still have five euros in your pocket, you can deposit them into one of our machines and the machine will issue you a voucher in return that's worth five euro fifty, always 10% more that you can then spend on a bottle of whiskey or perfume um, rather than having that metal in your in your pocket on arrival at your destination. Um, and the reason, um, uh, the way this idea came about is uh, that I came into the industry as an annoyed customer, essentially. I was commuting a lot between different currency areas and um, one day after coming from uh, from the airport, I was paying my motorway toll. And the way you uh, pay is you basically wind on the car window and you throw your coins into one of those machines that make the barrier go up. Uh, and in that moment, you know, I had a bunch of different currencies in my hand and I just thought, you know, I want a machine like that in an airport to just take all my currencies all at once. And uh, uh, the idea for Coindrum was born. Um, obviously, there's no need for a barrier to go up in an airport, but um, we kind of evolved the model to um, solve another big issue in airports um, for duty-free, which is that not enough international passengers actually start shopping. Um, so by issuing this voucher, we increase that percentage and therefore um, greatly benefit the duty-free operation. And and that piece, right, so you saw the problem, right? So you saw the problem, but most mm. people will just complain about the problem. And what gave you that drive to actually go and solve it? I mean, I, I was actually uh, really keen to get involved in, in startups. Business like has been my hobby basically all along. And I've I've been looking for ideas and I did this thing, I called it my startup idea of the day, where whenever, like you said, you know, whenever anything is annoying, whenever I catch myself swearing, um, you know, those would be triggers for me to think, well, you know, rather than complain, like what would be a better way? And I kind of kept track of all these ideas that that generated on, on that particular day. I, you know, I was, uh, even after sleeping on it, I, I felt like I was onto a winner. And uh, <laughs> actually even, you know, I kind of had a good intuition about it the second I thought of it. I actually got out of the car and took a, a picture of the uh, provider of this equipment um, for, for the barriers in the motorway at all. Um, that was kind of the, uh, the starting moment, I guess, for, for Coindrum. We had CEO and founder of X.ai, Dennis Mortensen, on the show before, and he, he talked about a similar thing. He keeps a hate list, and he went from <laughs> successful exit to successful exit just going mm. through his hate list and going, okay, what's next on the list? What's the low-hanging fruit that's next on my list? But... So many people, and we've talked to so many authors on this show, so many of us, myself included, will come up with that problem and actually think of a solution, but then do nothing about it. So what what was the difference here? Because you've obviously had a different, you've had ideas in the past, but what was the big 
compelling reason you went for this one? Well, I, you know, I, it was also timing for me. I was uh, it was towards the end of my MBA, so I was kind of desperate for an idea that I believed enough in to uh, actually go for it. But I guess um, you know, a bit of uh, entrepreneurship, I guess, is in my blood. You know, I've always been uh, doing things and, and, and having little projects on the side and stuff. Um, so I guess on this one, I just I just really believed in the concept. And I guess you know, if if, if you feel yourself struggling with something or there's a frustration there, chances are many other people have the same issue. You know. Um, so it's always worth sort of a, a second thought. Is, is this just a very specific situation or is this systematic? Because if it's systematic, you know, there might be a market there for a solution. This is an important one, Lucas, I think, because mm-hmm. there's a difference in your mindset that isn't in a lot of people today. And we're seeing this, and we, you know, we've had a couple of shows in the past where we talked about this mindset that people are not using that intuition anymore and they're not listening to it. But also, People are getting a little bit softer on themselves and letting themselves off the hook when they have that intuition singing to them that they won't go for it. You know, I did my research on your background and you've been working jobs through college as a kid. And that stuff seems to be really important. Like, so if you were, if you, you know, when your father, what kind of mentality will you be instilling into your kids? Everything around you in the environment was designed by somebody and somebody that's not necessarily smarter than you, you know, and probably in the context of a different time um, and with different tools at their disposal. So I think I just find it an empowering thought that you can, you know, change things and alter things and um, improve on things, on you know, everything around you. And, uh, you know, I, I guess like that mindset, like you say, um, when you try and come up with an idea, a product or something that uh, might find a market somewhere, you know, if, if you just can keep that mindset continuously going while you sort of go through life you know whatever struggles you encounter there might be something there um you know uh, it's just a way a way of seeing the world i guess that uh you know entrepreneurs have just a different take on it so you see this you take a picture of the the barrier and you take a picture of who supplies them what do you do next so to inspire some young people who may be listening and some older people who are listening to the show to go Hmm. you know what you can just make it happen and this is how i did it yeah, well, you see, it's, it's always easy in retrospective to, you know, everything lines up perfectly and it sounds like an easy story. But, you know, at that point in time, the commercial application for this wasn't at all obvious. All that was obvious was the problem, right? Kind of the next step was then to figure out, well, if we did put this into an app, what, what would we do once the coins go into the machine? And, um, you know, that's, I guess, taking that next step is the important bit. And then we realized that, well, the key um, success metric in, in duty free is what they call footfall penetration. You know, uh, only half of all international passengers even walk into the duty free stores and airports. So that really is a key success, me- success metric to these guys to say, you know, how many people can we actually convince to walk into our store and, and, and start browsing, browsing our products? So once we figured that out, we realized that there's kind of a, a win-win solution here where we can both get rid of your coins. And because the retailers want people so much in their stores, they actually will to pay us every time um, if we can manage to send them footfall their way. So by turning the coins into a voucher, um, we can achieve exactly that in a very measurable and significant way. And then, you know, then the next step was once uh, kind of the theory most mature that way and we managed to, you know, finally launch our first project, the next step happened, which is that we only realized, and that's something we couldn't have guessed before, but that you will only be able to ever figure out by trial and error. It's by, you know, making all these steps and going through the effort of launching something when we realized that, you know, where our average vouchers were like five, six euros, um, people then walk into duty free. But it turns out that once they do, 
they end up spending on average 10 times what the vouchers are worth at the till. So we realized, you know, rather than just solve a small coin convenience and sometimes people went, oh, well, coins are small value, what have you. Um, truth was that the real transaction for us actually happened at the duty-free till, not necessarily at our machine. And, you know, that, that today is probably the biggest part of our pitch, commercially speaking. But at the time, that obviously, you know, we couldn't have guessed that. Uh, it's just something that we had to trial something in order to, to learn and uh, then make that a very central part of the proposition. And, and the learning piece, Lucas, so mm-hmm. in this world of data, the data-driven world that mm-hmm. we're in, I'm sure you have a data layer on there where you're actually being able to tell what type of what type of footfall you're driving, etc. How, how does that all work? How does that play into the solution? Yeah, so it's um, it's actually a bit of a luxury that we have, comparatively speaking. If, um, if you imagine the top guys in, in these duty-free chains, they will sit in their boardrooms and they will decide every year, you know, we'll spend another few million euros on an advertising campaign to help our football penetration to get more people into our stores. And they literally paid us money to put up posters in, in, in airports, which you know costs an absolute absolute fortune. And then they don't really have a way to measure to see if that even is effective in any way. They don't. They can't really um, you know put any success metrics on that. But then sort of we came along, and with CoinGram, the whole thing is completely measurable, right? So we can say this is how many vouchers we've issued. Um, this is how much people put on average on the machine. This is uh, the shop they walk into with it. This is the type of product they buy with the voucher. This is how much they spend in conjunction with the voucher. Um, this is the product cat- category they spend it on. And then that's where the person departed afterwards. And this rich insight of data is something that these guys are not used to. But it, um, you know, to us, it's a, it's a major luxury because we can prove to the duty-free executives to show um, you know, uh, what categories we drive. Are they high margin, low margin? Uh, which passengers are most likely to use CoinDrum, et cetera, which, you know, all of that tells a very nice story where we, for example, can show that um, the long-haul passengers, so the non-Schengen passengers, often, you know, Chinese passengers, Russian passengers, um, uh, are intuitively most likely to use CoinDrum because they're most likely to have this coin conflict inconvenience. But they're also the passengers that, once they do start spending money, spend way more than a European passenger would on average. So what we find is that people that are the natural condom user actually spends a lot more on duty-free than a normal, uh, your average passenger would. So all these data insights are incredibly valuable to us and uh, um, definitely get emphasized uh, and, and, and help us, you know, expand the business and, and, and show to these retailers, well, we, you know, we did this in your airport, here's all the data, uh, and then they're very likely to want to replicate the success in, in their other portfolio airports as well. Yeah, like you say, that they, they can't, practice any other way like so so even if they're not buying it for coin drum as a, a revenue stream they're buying your data solutions and your data insights as a, a behavioral data solution yeah sure i mean um, that's the thing like you know there's there's no second guessing user behavior so we had to uh, kind of you know put a unit in the field and see what actually happens uh, and luckily for us that you know it really worked out <laughs> The sort of uplift yeah. effect, as, as we refer to, you know, proving that and showing it in the data, uh, that's a powerful thing for the retailer. Yeah. And, and talking about putting it in the field, because I, I, I read about this, your your placement is key, because we didn't say this earlier on when we were describing the solution. So would you mind mm-hmm. telling our listeners about, about this? Because I think this is the genius part. Yeah. So um, it, it's usually after security checks in the international hub airports. Um, we would either go right before the duty-free shops or almost uh, within the duty-free shops already. 
Um, we like for customers to see the type of products already uh, that they will be able to spend their vouchers on. Um, uh, and then, you know, we've, we've learned with time that, you know, how to optimize that location in terms of what's available in the airport, but also, um, you know, you don't necessarily want to be the very first square meter, but a couple of square meters into a walk through duty free, for example, is one thing we found is very beneficial just because, um, walking into duty free stores is very, uh, overwhelming to, to the senses. Uh, there's a lot of color, light and advertising a couple of meters in. Um, we're more likely to be able to actually get your attention and, uh, um, so yeah, that, that, those are little learnings over time that have you know helped us optimize the solution. So then, uh, Lucas, the, the amount of locations you're in now. So you, you've you've really you, you you said you got one out in the field and you learned learned from it. So you had the original solutions. Where did you start and where are you now? Um, yeah, so we started uh, you know with one trial machine in, in Dublin Airport, and since then we've grown pretty quickly. Um, we're now in eight international airports at the moment. Uh, and adding to the list pretty quickly. Why did you pick Ireland? Why did you pick Dublin? Um, well, part of it was uh, coincidence because obviously I was doing my MBA here, but uh, it just turns out that you know Dublin is a great place to start a business. Um, you know, it's English speaking. There's uh, lots of funding available here. So I met uh, my Angela investor at the time here in, in Dublin. Um, I really like the city as well, personally. I got to say, so a bunch of reasons uh, why it made sense. Um, you know, the fact that it's a great place to start a business, I only really learned that with time. Um, but yeah, now I wouldn't have it any other way. You know, the island means something in the aviation space, which has, which has helped. Um, as a matter of fact, duty free was invented in Shannon. Um, so you've got a bit of an Irish mafia anywhere where you go in the world in the, <laughs> in, in duty free. There's always a couple of Irish guys sitting there. So, um, it's, it's only ever helped us, I gotta say. Brilliant. And so any advice then for people like you who, had that spark of intuition at the start, how to get started and, and any advice for them how to keep going? Well, fundamentally, just, you know, do something about it, like figure out what's the, um, I guess, easiest route to getting to some data and, and some sort of rational indication of whether you're onto something or not, you know, what's the easiest way to do it. Uh, to me, before actually installing the machine, I literally went into the airport with a clipboard and like, uh, started talking to people and basically gave them the one line and said, like, is this something you would use right now? Um, you know, and that was just a lot of very encouraging conversations. Um, so, for, you know, with a lack of any other real data, I then took that to the airport and said, look, you know, your actual uh, passengers, um, you know, X percent of them told me that they would use the service. And eventually, um, you know, lots of uh, promises and, and the nice presentations later we got the chance to actually install one in the field and, and get to some real data which then was the absolute game changer you know because then it, it, it transitioned from a student with an idea um to data so never mind my sales pitch just and my promises just look at the data and uh, you know then usually they would come to their own conclusion that this is something worth pursuing yeah and that that idea of actually getting out in the field and you, you watched it didn't you you didn't just put out in the field and see what what money was in it at the end of the day you watched how people used it oh yeah of course <laughs> it was a a long lead up to actually get one life finally and once it was you know i, I was in the airport 24 7 trying to figure out you know um and there was a lot of, there was a lot of learning there you know the way we brand the machine the way you know if you only have someone's attention for a second how do you explain this concept very quickly um you know how, how do we wrap the units uh, how do we um, we ended up putting promotion screens on top of them with a um, short video loop that you know using a very visual language explaining the concept because obviously you know in an airport environment you know many different languages are spoken etc so 
there was a lot of little things that we worked out over time and fine-tuned. But, you know, you can only learn that by being there and, and, and watching people and seeing, seeing how they interact and then talking to them after they use it or if they walk up to it and don't use it. You know, you can learn as much from, from that passenger, which if you're not next to the machine yourself personally, you would have never had the chance to talk to that person or capture them in any meaningful way. So if you're there, you know, you, you have that interaction and you understand what it, what could we have done better there to, to convert that, that passenger into a customer. And where can people find out more, Lucas, whether, I mean, are you looking for investment or will you be looking for further investment in the future? We probably will. Um, at the moment, we're not actively fundraising. Um, probably early to mid next year, we might uh, go back for another round, depending on how quickly we progress our expansion. Um, we did a fairly successful funding round just uh, relatively recently, so we're well capitalized at the moment. Okay. And where can people find out more, Lucas? Coindrum.com, uh, social media, you know, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, the likes, uh, all just Coindrum. Okay, Lucas. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you, and we wish you success in the future. And we might touch base in a year, and you might be every in every airport in the world. CEO and founder of Coindrum. Thanks for joining us, Lucas Decker. Brilliant. Thanks so much. Today on the Innovation Show, we welcome co-founder and CMO of QB, Shivani Jain. Welcome to the show, Shivani. Thank you so much, Aidan. Really happy to be here. It's great to have you here. So let's start with the product here. And then it'd be great to talk to you as a CMO in this world of, you know, the difficulty of getting your message out there with so much noise and people's waning attention spans. We'll go and talk about that a little bit later. But first, it'd be great to hear about the product. The product is called QB, and it's essentially a compact seated elliptical. What it does is it goes under people's desks or it goes in front of their couch and just lets them pedal away, uh, keep more active, bring more movement into their lives. And the best part is that it lets you do it while you're multitasking. So you could be at your desk, working on your laptop, talking on the phone, having client meetings, and you're still staying active and it's helping your productivity, it's helping your focus and uh, letting you burn calories. The product is the only one in the market that's digitally connected. What that means is that it's equipped with Bluetooth. So it lets you connect to our app, which you know lets you track uh, your exercise, see your historical progress, set your own goals, um, as well as create competitions. So we have this global group and you can see how everybody else is doing and just you know get a little bit more motivation in there. It also syncs with Fitbit as well as Apple HealthKit. So you can kind of sync everything in one app and really track your health um, overall. Brilliant. And it seems like some people kind of go, whoa, I can't believe nobody's thought of that yet. But it's really solving a problem. We're in a knowledge economy, which means people are, are using their brains more than their bodies ever before. But we're also in this world where people have less time than ever before people struggle to get to the gym. So it seems like a kind of perfect solution for those kind of mix of different forces that are at play. Exactly, Aiden. I mean, I think you you hit the nail on the head. It's, it's pretty much, you know, what we saw was that there are so many gyms, there are so many fitness centers, so many group classes, so many fitness equipments, but then um, there really is no time, just like you said. And you know, in between trying to balance your life and your work and the hundred other things that come in between, um, you know, the the thing that gets left out is just movement throughout the day. So 
you know, so many of our customers actually they do go to the gym. They they go take out time and they're able to do that. But the reality is that that's just maybe an hour out of your day if you're lucky, and you're still sitting for the remaining eight to ten hours. So that's that's really where we are trying to come to them, where they can still keep moving while they're doing their thing. Yeah, and do you know one thing that dawned on me when when I saw the product and, and you get these recommended calories per day as a male and a female and all this kind of stuff, but that has actually changed because that was based on a world where we were much more active, more people are wealthier than ever before, they have more cars, commuting is much easier for people, so we actually move a lot less than ever before. So while your recommended calories might be X and you're going to the gym and doing a session, you're still not burning enough calories that you may need to in a day. Yeah, you're totally right. In fact, you know, there's there's so many research studies that are out there and something that really, you know, struck out to me was they, they actually compare sitting. It's almost like a plague that's compared to smoking now. That's that's you know, there are there are tons of information and knowledge out there that actually says that even if you are going to the gym, it's really not not enough. And like you mentioned, you know, our lifestyles have totally changed. Um, things are just so much more conveniently accessible to us, you know, whether that's food or uh, a car, like you mentioned, with Uber and, you know, other ride sharing. So we really are not moving much at all. Yeah. And and it would be interesting to know, right? So I thought this was really interesting where, you know, the fidget spinner that's just taking the world <laughs> by storm. And, and right. Now, I, I was so interested to see, because I, I thought these were for kids, but when I was in, New York recently, I just saw loads of people in the office with them. And I thought, actually, your product is great for somebody who's a, who's a fidgeter, you know, somebody who may have ADHD even and kids in class. There's so many, yeah. so many applications for this product. Yeah. And it's funny that you mentioned that because we actually have um, parents that have bought it for their kids who have ADHD. Um, there's this particular lady and she she shared her story too. And, you know, the kid actually takes it, you know, like he has it under his desk in his school. And uh, over a couple of months, she has seen improved, um, you know, focus, improved attention spans and, and better grades. So um, totally, totally agree with you. I mean, the, there are lots of applications. It's kind of like a good way to get rid of your nervous energy and we've seen people are just able to focus and be more productive because you don't feel that urge to keep getting up every 20 minutes and you know going for a walk or taking a bathroom break it just keeps you more focused and yeah attentive especially after that um, afternoon slump you know cold yeah. lunch yeah no sure and, and so so that's the product right and it, it mm-hmm. now would be great now that that our audience knows what it is and it, it's it's like i'll i'll try and describe it badly and then i'll let you do it well but <laughs> what i see like a little um like a little like pedals that go under your desk nicely and it, it almost reminds me of those um shoe shines that you see where you can actually just show that's how tight it is it's nice and tight nice and small that you can just pedal under the desk and it's nice and neat so it's not I, I, you know, I, I thought people who are listening to this might picture like you're going around the office on a unicycle or something like that, but it's a nice <laughs> fixed unit that's hidden under the desk. Now, now I'll let you describe it better. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think you've described it pretty well, actually. <laughs> but yeah, you're absolutely right. It's kind of like this compact um, mini elliptical, almost like a miniature version of what you see in the gym, you know, but it's super mini. It's uh, just slips under most 
desks and you don't have to have any space, um, you know, a lot of space for it. It kind of fits within your setup. So you don't need to change any of your furniture, which is something that's, uh, that we've seen our, our users greatly value. And I think the best part is, you know, it's quiet because the last thing that anybody wants is to disturb people around you. And, um, you know, so the focus has really on been making it very discreet, something that just kind of fits into your life and you don't have to tell others that you're necessarily using it. It just, you just do it and nobody has to know. And um, yeah, it's just, it's there and it fits your life. Brilliant. And so, so now it'd be great to understand how you got here because it'd be great. You obviously have a background or something sparked with you and your co-founder to create this product. Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, so we had a little bit of a <laughs> interesting journey. I mean, so it was me um, and two of my co-founders that actually came up with the idea. So it's me and then my co-founder Arnav and uh, a third co-founder, Ryota. And uh, we'd met in college. So we went to study at uh, here in Chicago, in the University of Chicago. And um, none of our backgrounds are actually even remotely related to what we are doing right now, which is which was interesting and challenging at the same time. Um, I studied economics, and uh, both my co-founders, one of them also studied economics, and then Ryota studied biology. So we didn't have any experience um, in building products. We weren't engineers. We had no technical background. Neither did we have any any you know any business ex- experience as well. Uh, how it really started was just um, you know we started working right after college. And even during when we went into our internships and things like that, that's, you know, when we really got a taste of what it's like to be in a work environment. And we started seeing this trend where everybody everybody around us was just complaining of backaches, complaining of the lack of time, the lack of motivation, um, just, you know, finding it hard to balance um, life and work and fitness and health. And uh, that's when it kind of struck us that, why isn't there anything that's accessible out that brings movement to these people and is not an additional task in their day? Um, so that's really how it started. I mean, initially it was, you know, we also intended that this product is going to generate power that's going to power the entire office, <laughs> yeah. which uh, clearly didn't didn't work out as expected because, uh, you know, it just didn't generate enough power and the generator that we need we would have needed was super loud and so on and so forth. So I think, you know, when we drilled down, we realized the real pain point was actually just getting movement in the first place uh, into these people's lives. So that's how it started. We we just, you know, to be honest, we call ourselves accidental entrepreneurs because while we three shared a passion for building something tangible and solving a pain point, we didn't know it's going to happen so soon in our lives. We had just graduated from college with no experience or no savings in, in our bank accounts. Um, so we just, um, you know, decided to participate in this, uh, competition that's called the new venture challenge. And we went, took the idea there, um, and we were surprised by how well it resonated with everybody around us. And, you know, one thing led to another and people kept pushing us that we need to build this. So, you know, through competitions, through winning, um, you know, just money through pitching and things like that, we were able to build some prototypes that we, did beta tests with and you know it just what we it took it a step at a time and I think before we knew it it was actually in the market and um 
yeah, people were were using it. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. And you know, the one thing that that dawned on me was, you know, how do you get there? So the three of you guys are sitting around. You go, you know what? There's an opportunity here. And then, but you know, it's it's kind of different with software because it's almost. Uh, it's it's easier than going and building a product because you have to get this designed you have to go and get to market all that kind of thing you have to see is it feasible right. H- how do you do that so honestly we were we were super clueless about how to how to do it and in a way i think that helped us if we knew how challenging it was going to be we probably wouldn't have done it <laughs> uh, so i think oblivion was was kind of bliss in our case we were not experienced and i think that also helped us in taking a fresh approach because you know we we weren't limited by what's feasible and what are the best practices and we took a totally different fresh approach with you know with the design and made it look very different from what typical fitness equipment looks like but how it all started was to be honest initially we just partnered with um local university idea shops which usually have like grad students, people who are engineers, who are um, developers, because in our case, it was not just a hardware product, it was hardware and software, you know, an IoT component in it. So uh, we, you know, we just went there, we uh, worked together with them to make some basic mock-ups uh, and prototypes. Uh, the first few prototypes didn't work. They were just 3D printed plastic, like display models that we used when we were pitching. And then slowly, you know, we started working with this other company here in Chicago um, that made a functional model for us. Um, Once we had that, you know, just through a network of advisors and mentors and things like that, we were able to actually get to that stage. Um, Like I mentioned, since we didn't have any prior experience in, you know, manufacturing or design, uh, we relied on just local maker communities in Chicago to guide us. And I think that was super helpful. Like everybody in Chicago, you know, these communities were super helpful. And I think they helped us avoid some of the mistakes that we would have otherwise made not having done this before. We actually needed money and validation. So that's when we went to crowdfunding. So we actually launched a Kickstarter campaign using one of these functional prototypes we had made in the U.S. We launched a Kickstarter campaign in June of 2014. And, um, you know, we, we just decided to give it a shot, uh, not just for the money, but really for the market validation. And that ended up being actually one of the most successful Kickstarter campaigns from Chicago that year. And we raised about 3.5 times our goal. We raised about $300,000 from there. We had about a thousand of these that got pre-ordered um, in the campaign. So that really um, helped us get that exposure, put it out there and really know that this has uh, potential. Are you at a stage now where you fulfilled all those Kickstarter products? Sometimes you hear that the founders are struggling then to fulfill all the Kickstarter yeah. products and, and that can be a challenge. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, uh, like I mentioned, because this was the first time we were doing it, we really didn't realize how big of a challenge it is to get from even a successful Kickstarter campaign to actually fulfilling your orders. You know, once we raised all this money, we were over the moon and we thought we had all of our problems figured out until, yeah. you know, reality dawned on us that now we have a thousand of these people who are looking and really waiting for our product and we need to fulfill all these expectations that we've set. And because we are manufacturing a fitness product that actually these guys are going to be using and it's going to have a significant impact on their life, you know, it's really not something that we can <laughs> we can take lightly. And uh, 
you know, unfortunately, what happened after Kickstarter was one of our um, conversations with a manufacturer that we had spoken to fell through. And we had to literally start from scratch where we had to go all the way to Asia, spend a couple of months there. Um, I stayed there. He wetted close to 20 to 30 factories. And, you know, we had to, again, kind of decide who is our partner going to be. Um, the design that we had made in the U.S., we realized was not feasible for mass manufacturing, um, you know, just to keep the, the cost realistic and things like that. We had to redesign the entire thing. So it take, took a lot longer than we had anticipated. Um, we had promised our backers that we're going to deliver it within, within like three or four months of the campaign. Uh, which now that I look back, is very silly, but um, we ended up uh, delivering the, fulfilling all the orders about 12 months in. So everything was fulfilled in December of 2015. And um, as of now, I mean, QB has been in the market since then. So we've been in the market for two years and we now have about um, 15,000 people that are actively peddling away on it. <laughs> That's fantastic because because you can see I often think of of the big companies like the big global companies like Amazon, Facebook, Google, and these kind of guys. Maybe more the Facebooks and the LinkedIn's and these kind of companies as well, where you know so many people are working at their desk and they are proponents of this healthy mindset where they have yoga classes during the day and you know certain business units might bring off their the whole unit and they'll do gym during the whole the day and build it in that a product like mm -hmm. this in one of those companies will just fly absolutely yeah yeah i mean i know until now our focus has just been on reaching directly to the customers so we've used our own site and amazon as well as this year we started launching with a couple of retailers to be able to really uh, spread the word about about qb um but I know that we are getting a lot of interest from corporates. So we are actually working with clients now where they have bought these units in bulk and are actually centering their entire corporate wellness programs around it. So they're actually tracking who's performing in their company, who's burning more calories, who's kind of being able to use this, and then, you know, setting up reward systems and things like that for those employees and, uh, you know, really keeping them motivated. Yeah, because if they're tra because you've been you've had the foresight to track how how mm -hmm. it actually you know the software side of it the IoT side where it's all connected, you can actually see you know is somebody more productive or, or you know you can actually start connecting the data and start seeing you know validated output of how how exactly. this is a, yeah, yeah yeah I totally see that so so let let's jump then to uh, so so if you're if you're going to give some advice. To people going into this, I know one of them's stay oblivious to the pain <laughs> that awaits you. Yeah. But what what other advice would you give people? Um, so I mean, something specific. I would say, I mean, one thing specific to just running crowdfunding campaigns because I know when we had launched a campaign, crowdfunding has totally changed, and you know, it's, it's become like so so popular even since then in the last two years and. So many companies go to the crowdfunding now to to raise money and more so just to spread awareness about their products. Just something to note, you know, something we learned later, crowdfunding funds are never enough, even if you raise a million dollars. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if 
the audience might have read some case studies that exist even of companies that have raised a lot of money on crowdfunding and actually the more you raise the more risky it gets because this is not like it's typical investor money um you know you have to use these funds it's almost like pre-orders and you still have these you know units to fulfill and a lot of times especially with manufacturing um there are so many upfront fixed costs that you almost have to raise as much money as you've raised via crowdfunding through another source to actually be able to fulfill all those crowdfunding orders. So just something to know that it's, it's you know, whatever you raise there, you're probably going to have to raise double that, you know, outside to actually be able to fulfill and, you know, all those orders that you got. It's almost like a match funding. So you might go and get match funding elsewhere and this gets the ball rolling. Exactly. So crowdfunding is a good way to get validation and to get the the brand out there. You know, you get a lot of good press if you're doing that outreach and that's awesome. But in terms of funds, you'll actually need more money if you're manufacturing to pay for those upfront costs because you have all these real orders from these backers that you need to then fulfill. So that's something we realized. And I would say a second thing, I mean, kind of like what I mentioned that earlier we used to you know, think that we don't have the experience and especially experience in design or manufacturing or anything. But I think something we've realized is not having the experience can sometimes be a blessing. It helps you look at things in a totally different way, different perspective, bring a fresh approach to it, which helped us actually build a product that stands out compared to what exists in the market. So, you know, don't not to let kind of the lack of experience prevent you from doing something that you really care about or you are passionate about because, you know, you can figure it out. I mean, we we were able to despite not having any experience whatsoever. So uh, not to let that be a limiting factor. Yeah. And it sounds like as well, your advice on reaching out to the community, like the maker community has a huge yeah. bearing as well. There's lots of people out there to help because that, that's one thing I find with a lot of startups especially the younger younger entrepreneurs who come straight out of college, they they stay at their desk and you need to get away from your desk and get out there and press the flesh and meet people. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, to be honest, don't think we would be where we are right now without the support of this huge network that we were able to build in Chicago. Um, you know, we weren't probably it's through the networks that we were able to find people to actually manufacture our product as well and be on the ground. Like every single thing that we are doing, it's thanks to a connection of a connection of a connection. And people are just willing to support you, but you just need to be willing to go out there and take that support. Yeah. And and one thing that I thought was really interesting was what you said around the crowdfunding. Because, and the reason I asked that question was you see this with so many businesses where people take the eye off, take their eye off their existing customer base and they start always thinking about the next customer and they forget about fulfilling the existing one. And I'm not talking about product-based, but even service-based companies, they forget that it's so much easier to resell to an existing customer. And also Mm -hmm. referral sales are so much stronger than going and getting a cold sale, et cetera. Especially for you and your role as CMO, referral is going to be a huge thing. So the delivery and the fulfillment of the product that existing base from from Kickstarter has a massive impact on the next wave and the next wave after that. Oh, yeah. And uh, I mean, this is something I honestly can't emphasize enough because, 
not just, I mean, selling is definitely one part of it. But, you know, nowadays, like you mentioned, kind of Aiden, there's just so many big players, so many people innovating and launching new products. You know, it's it's very rare that what someone launches or what I have launched or you launch is going to be totally new. You know, there's someone out there who's probably tried it or is trying it or is doing something similar. The only thing that will really make you stand out is that, customer satisfaction is, you know, how your brand and your product and your experience really goes above and beyond. And to be honest, that's been the focus of our company. We, um, you know, we really pride ourselves on that. I think, you know, that's why we, we call ourselves literally the best reviewed under desk elliptical, not the first, not, not anything else, but literally the best reviewed because, um, you know, customers are not just your ambassadors, they're your, um, they're, they're your brand. And for us, that's really holds true. And, you know, especially your crowdfunding backers, because those are the people that we go back to when we need any sort of feedback. I mean, for new products, those are the guys that are the first to volunteer to test new updates on our software, to test new products, to be part of our photo shoots, um, you name it. And they're, they're kind of the the early adopters that are super passionate about your brand. Brilliant. And that, that's a nice segue for your own role. So your brand is is everything. Your product, your service around the product, your customer feedback, your your feedback loop with complaints or whatever you're getting actually becomes your marketing. What What's your take on, on your own role as CMO for QB? Sure. I mean, um, so it's, yeah, like I, I think like we, like you mentioned, Aiden, it's, it's really, it's really about the brand. It's, it's the end to end experience. It's pretty much, you know, from the time that someone is looking for a solution for their problem, or they're even trying to figure out what their problem is, because, you know, sometimes what we've seen, especially with our product is people are not looking for under desk ellipticals. They are looking for a solution to their pain point. And their pain point is no time, lack of motivation, less, you know, more of a sedentary lifestyle. So really that end-to-end experience when they're trying to understand their problem to when they find your solution to when they bought your product and how they use it, um, you know, for us, to be honest, and me as a CMO, my role is not just to make that sale, but it's to make sure they don't drop off using the product after that. Um, you know, we are really focused on that impact that comes with the product and how it can change people's lives and change their health and help them meet their goals. Um, so we, you know, we do everything from, you know, post-purchase like competitions and really keeping the community engaged and how to keep listening to what they have to say and what they would need and then feed that through our product team. So it's really that end-to-end from when they when they need to know about their problem to when they actually um, are using the QB. Okay. And and again, from your own experience from this product, for, for a product-based company, obviously with a software and IoT element, what's your advice? What are your watchouts as a CMO for a company like that? Yeah, I mean, um, specifically speaking to us, Aiden, I know that um, something that's been a big focus for us is that you know, in, in selling a product, we are not just selling a product. For us, it's really uh, two things that we, we are doing. Number one, we are telling people that this product exists. So for people who already um, are lower in the funnel, they know what they need. They've heard it from a friend. They've 
kind of seen their colleague use it. We're telling them this is the product and this is something that they is better than what's out there. But the second, which is, you know, the majority of my time is actually spent in figuring out how do we do that is really educating the customer. Because um, in our case, you know, it's a, it's a very new category. It's it's not another Bluetooth speaker, let's say, or it's not another fitness tracker. It's really something that people don't even know this thing exists. So it's it's really a lot of my time is on how do we tell people that they need to move throughout the day. Um, you know, we get a lot of people that just question, is this even exercise? Like, why am I sitting and moving? What is that even doing to my body? Um, so we need to actually do a lot of education around the importance of moving throughout the day on this new concept, which is called active sitting and why that's good for you. And really like spreading this awareness around, you know, this, this plague and, you know, why going to the gym may not be enough. So that's honestly the bulk of our, our time. And we need to work with not just, you know, our team, but just influencers in the space, industry leaders in the space. Um, other blogs, other uh, influencers, just people that actually um, know movement science and, you know, really test the product and let them speak to to the benefits. Yeah, so so that kind of referral mindset again, where people are users and then they become advocates, uh, kind of rings true. Exactly, exactly. Because again, in our case, it's a very experiential product. It's very new. People don't just trust it that it works because we say it. Um, they need to see the reviews. They need to read what it's about. They need to do a lot of research and you know figure out why this is right for them before they buy it. Uh, so we okay. need to make sure we have all that information available to them. Okay, and and then where where can people find out information about it today? Sure. So, I mean, we have some really uh, incredible reviews on Amazon. So we are selling it on Amazon. And I think some of the best um, stories that we have of our customers have come literally from them. Uh, we have some pretty heartwarming, uh, some really great impact stories of how QB has changed people's lives. Um, so I would say that's that's a really great place to see it. Other than that, I would say just um, just going out there, I would say, and reading even on our website, uh, what it means to be, uh, what it, what active sitting means. We have a lot of uh, content that we put out there on our blog where we talk about this, where we give people more tips and hacks on to, to stay moving throughout the day. Um, another really great source would be, um, you know, the Mayo Clinic, which is an authority figure in, in this. They have this program called the NEAT program. And the, the program is focused on this concept called, you know, the technical term is non-activity non exercise thermogenesis. What that means is just movement that's not like your gym. It's just hustling and moving throughout the day. And we were recently certified by the Mayo Clinic as part of that program. And they publish so much content and so much information and studies about, you know, what this means, how our lifestyles have changed over the years, and why it's important to keep more active during the day. Okay, and, and Shivani, uh, then w what is the website uh, name for people to have a look? You can have a look on um, myqb.com, that is M-Y-C-U-B-I-I.com. And we also have uh, the product available on Amazon, so you can just go onto Amazon, type C-U-B-I-I, -I, and um, yeah, our pages just show up. Well, it's been a, an absolute pleasure talking to Shivani Jain, co-founder of QB. 
Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much, Aiden. My pleasure.